Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer. This episode is brought to you by our investigative platform, Noteworthy, where we carry out journalistic projects based on ideas sent to us by the public. I'm Susan Daly, and Noteworthy recently published two articles by journalist Alice Chambers examining families and in particular children's access to their loved ones in prison. Many people listening will have views on Ireland's criminal justice system and how the people incarcerated there are or should be treated. We may not have given as much thought to what happens to those left on the outside, now particularly children when a parent goes to prison. During COVID, as we know, everything shut down. Prison visiting was no exception. Prisons had some of the strictest lockdowns in the country. Children already separated from their parents no longer had in-person visits. The Irish Prison Service says things are back to normal. But over the course of our six-month investigation, Noteworthy found that is just not the case. Today we're asking, are children being locked out from imprisoned parents? Alice is here to tell us about some of the findings of her investigation. And we also have John Lundergan, a former prison governor of Mountjoy Prison and Port Leash Prison, who retired in 2010 and has many years of experience and insights into the prison service that he's going to share with us today. So, Alice, can we put a number on this? How many children are we talking about here that are impacted by having a parent in prison? Well, Susan, there's actually no great data on this, but the Irish Penal Reform Trust estimates that about 10,000 children in Ireland will be affected over the course of a year, which is quite a high number. And advocates and researchers call these children forgotten victims. They describe them as serving a a parallel prison sentence beside their, their parent in prison. That number might be a surprise, all right, to to a lot of us. Suddenly a child has gone from having a mother and father with them in their lives, depending on their situation, to having very limited contact. Can you explain to us what we know about why visiting is important? Yeah, well, I suppose it'll it's sort of common sense that kids you know, benefit from access to their parents in general. And it's the same with children who have a parent in prison. Um, They benefit from maintaining family contact. And in addition to that, there's quite a lot of of evidence that shows that prisoners themselves also benefit from maintaining family contact and that rates of recidivism after prison uh, are lower if you you can keep the family unit um, in contact. And it's just some of the things um, that might happen to a a child whose parent goes to prison. Experts told me that they often feel like uh, it's their fault you know, even though they did nothing wrong. And something that was really stressed to me was that children's perception of time is very different to an adult. So when children are left uh, without certainty, if they don't see their parents for a long time, um, that that feels a lot longer than it might feel to, to you or I. That makes sense of it's a portion of their short lives. John, welcome and thanks for joining us here. Can you tell us when you were governor um, of your, the two prisons in particular, how you saw these visits impacting prisoners if they had their children able to come in and see them? Yeah, um, thanks, Susan, and it's a pleasure. Well, I have always regarded uh, visits, family visits as being particularly important and significant. And I think it's very it's true to say that prisoners would also classify their family visit as, as probably the top priority while they're in prison. That was my experience. Mm. So it's not just this, uh, from my observations, it would be the feedback I have got from prisoners that they did really appreciate the family visit. Second position was, uh, is in my, the reality was that f- uh, f- family visits ha- was never 
never a big priority in relation to facilitate, facilities rather and innovation. And, and they're not very family friendly and they're most definitely not child friendly. I guess on top of that, to exacerbate it even further, uh, over the last 10, 15 years, a huge emphasis has been placed on security and particularly on this challenge to try to prevent drugs getting into prison. And children were collateral damage in that process as well because uh, you introduced a screening, far tighter security, a reduction on numbers and above all though, the introduction of sniffer dogs. So, you know, I don't think the public again have any idea how traumatic it is for an adult going in to visit a son or daughter in prison or an immediate relative. Uh, is a very traumatic experience. Never it's, mind for children. Yeah, and, 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 and we were able to comprehend it better as adults and we were able to understand it better. And then when you put searching on top of that, well, then that, that really uh, increases the pressure. So for children to try to comprehend it. And as Alice mentioned, that, you know, in a child's life, absence a week is, a, is an eternity. Um, so on, for, on all those bases, family visits and children's access to their parents are very, very they're, high priority. And they're in second place. But when you mention the security, John, since you're, you're on this point and the balance there has to be there with it. I mean, is it the case that it's kind of proportionate or in your experience, is it sort of a sledgehammer to to catch, you know, what is actually a small problem or a small risk? Yeah, I, you know, I, I've always said myself that you could justify anything on the basis of security. I mean, that, that was my experience, by the way, that you could justify anything. And, and we have we have many examples of that outside of, of, of prisons and even in the current times. So people can, and, and organisations or governments can justify almost any inhumanity on the basis that it has to be done in the main interest of security. And I always believed, and I had, an, a, I suppose, a, a foundation or a, a policy or a philosophy myself, that, you know, when it came to humanity and if security infringed seriously on the principles and the, the, the basis of, of what is humane and what is humanity, I would always err on the side of humanity. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I don't agree with it, this idea that just that security will ju- justify anything. anything. And Alice, on, um, I suppose, when we get down to it and what John is describing there, and we'll get back to the kind of upsetting details because you have more information on that. But what, what, like basically what basic human rights do children have to see a parent? Children absolutely have a right to see their parent. Uh, It's part of the UN Convention on the Rights of the Child. Council of Europe also grants children rights to see their parents regularly. Um, And then you also have the 2007 prison rules, and that's what governs prisons in Ireland. And they state that a prisoner has a right to one visit per week. Uh, And we clarified that with the prison service, who told us that that does indeed mean one physical in-person visit per week. Uh, We might come on to video visits later. And then what John just really brilliantly illustrated for us is how that clashes with the prison's concerns for security and how the children are not winning out there. And Alice, the children who did get to visit, you looked into what is being done by the prison service to, I suppose, support children in that process. Or really, as John says, are they kind of not really considered in that process? What did you find? Yeah, well, imagine that you're a little child and you're coming to visit your father or your mother in prison. And the, and the first thing you have to do is go through quite a rigorous security process. Uh, we're talking, they call it airport style security. So you can kind of imagine that, but I, I would say it's it's worse. You go through a, a metal detector, uh, you have to remove items of clothing, depending on, on the prison, or you often have to then um, go into a room with a sniffer dog, uh, and that's for drugs. And you can imagine 
little children around, you know, police dogs, that's that's not great. Uh, and if the dog sits down, then that means the dog thinks there's, you know, something on you. And then you have to go through the process again and you might even have your visit denied. Uh, and that's before you even get to the visiting room. And then you get to the visiting room and that's um, now prisons have, have provided family rooms for families to see their, their loved one. Um, but it's not always the case that children can use them. Why is that, Alice? It, it sort of varies from prison to prison depending on, on staffing, but also on prison wings, even depending on security. You know, we have the 2007 prison rules, but prison also depends on the governor and what rules they want to introduce. And even people working within the prison system have said that it's really hard to figure out and that each prison is a little bit like its own little kingdom. Um D- depending on on you know what the governor says and and what kind of regimes the prisoner is on because because that that will also change things um whether they're high security or not uh, also the prison service can uh, discipline prisoners by restricting visits and so that's another thing that but might But that's a punishment per se that extends though to the child. Well exactly yeah so you know from the prison service point of view they're they're punishing the adult but actually that impacts the child too. And then once they're in the visiting room it's a 30 minute visit. I've spoken to families who who say it's very crowded, it can be very hard to hear. Imagine, you know, the first thing a child wants to do when they see their their parent who they don't see for a long time is probably hug the parent. And in many places that's not allowed either. Uh, a guard might allow a, a quick hug at the start or the end or a, you know, a kiss, but it's not like a child can sit on a parent's lap necessarily. Obviously for older children that's one thing, but for younger children especially 2, 3, 4, like that's really hard. Especially if they've already been searched for potentially bringing something in. Yeah, I mean, I spoke to one mother who said she spends the twenty minutes, the first twenty minutes of the visit, trying to calm her toddler down, who's found the uh, the security that's stressful. Um, doesn't want to be there. Doesn't understand what's going on. Now, I mean, I have to say that there there are some improvements. I mean, I visited the new Limerick Women's Prison before it opened. I, I went and saw it in June. They've got a lovely setup where children should be able to come into a really colourful sort of canteen style room where they get a bit more privacy to to interact with their with their mother. Um, there's even a kitchen where they could potentially cook a, a meal or prepare a meal with their mother. And, you know, that's really positive. I mean, the governor there said that they envisage um, a scenario in which a, a child could come home from school and do homework with their mother. So that, you know, that would be great. Um, that's one prison. So, you know, we're talking about a very small number of children and, not you know, not all those can access them. Yeah. You were talking about wheat fields, um, Alice, in, in some of the things that you've written and they have a garden, for example, but it's not available for prison visits, which seemed a bit strange to me. It seemed like the ideal place to to meet someone. Yeah, Wheatfield Prison created a, a garden for children. Um, the idea is it's a sensory garden. So children with uh, autism, for example, uh, might go in there and use it to, to, to self-regulate after a traumatic prison visit. But it's not actually meant for prisoners or visits. So, I mean, the idea is that a child might come before going into the prison, they'd, they'd play in the garden or after going to the prison they played they might play in the garden but you know I spoke to one woman who we're calling Gabrielle uh, she has to drive several hours to get to visit her husband in Wheatfield uh, and her son is autistic so obviously the the target of this garden but she says it's it's not useful to her because they they've spent so long traveling to get to the prison and her kids just want to see their dad and so before he was in Wheatfield he was in the Midlands and she told me how they were treated when visiting there I was bringing my son in and into the prison and he was running through the detectors and because the woman had told him to go through the detectors and the guard turned around and said, 
if you can't rear them, don't bring them about my child. That made me feel very upset because my child has special needs and it's not, it, it is very hard when you're on your own with kids and with a child with special needs that was told to run through something, get it, and then was told that if I can't rear them, don't bring them. Alice, you put Gabrielle's experience to the prison service? Yeah, I did. A spokesman told us that the service is governed by the Civil Service Code of Standards and Behaviour and that their vision is for a prison service built on human dignity. They also said, we aim at all times to provide a positive experience to all and we use the complaints procedure as a way to learn and improve for the future. John, hearing that, that sort of speaks a bit to, I suppose, what you talked about, people trying to exercise their sense of humanity and compassion. And that would seem to say the prison service is saying, look, we do leave room for that and we do take feedback um, to try and, I suppose, continue to educate the people working within that system who are trying to balance the security versus the needs of, in that situation, someone with special needs, additional needs. Is that a positive? I mean, that's positive, right? I mean, that sounds like the right thing to be saying. Well, I mean, I I wouldn't expect anything else from from a... bureaucracy because that's the way they operate and they have rules and regulations there's a big gap between what policy is and what reality is and so you're absolutely totally dependent on the attitude of the individual person and some staff are brilliant uh, with children they're brilliant with visitors they have a great attitude they they they, they, they remove tension instantly they relax the whole situation by a bit of humor the way their mannerisms the whole lot and others can be an absolute disaster because it's basically about attitude it all depends on the attitude so if your attitude uh, isn't tuned in to the stresses and pressures that a mother or any parent would have bringing a child into prison well, then you're going to say the wrong thing and you're going to exacerbate the situation. Will we talk, Alice, about what happened when we threw COVID into the mix here? Because that's where a very specific turn happened in visiting, as it did, as we said, for everybody in every situation. We saw it in hospitals, we saw it in schools, we saw it in lockdowns. Um, that tension, what happened? So basically, Susan, prisons shut down completely. Uh, and they had some of the strictest lockdowns that we saw across the country. And, and you know, that meant that there were long stretches when children couldn't get into prisons to see their parents. And I spoke to families, um, one family I'm thinking of, you know, the, the mother had a child while her husband was in prison. So it was m- months before he even met his newborn baby. And then finally they did reopen and so they reopened and, and closed and reopened again. We all remember the waves of lockdowns and they, they reopened uh, at a very you know limited capacity. So children had fewer visits and there were fewer children allowed into the prison at any one time. And then the prison service introduced video calls, which, uh, which we might talk about a, a bit later as a sort of an alternative to the physical visits. But yeah, families I spoke to found that extremely, extremely hard. So our lives have basically gone back to normal now. We'll we'll call it the new normal, will we? But in prisons, Alice, where are they? Yeah, well, the Irish Prison Service said that things went back to normal in December 2022. Oh, that's good news. (laughs) Uh, But that wasn't the case. Up until July, the Prison Service press office was still telling me that it was two visits per month, which is contrary to the prison rules. Now they've clarified and said that it is one visit per week, so four visits per month. Uh, but the old information was still on the website this month, which is very confusing for families, obviously. Uh, and I've still been speaking to families who only get two physical visits a month, and that's been the case for a long time. And is that to do with rostering capacity for managing those visits? Um, did, what, did it vary between prisons that you found? 
The prison service told me they won't comment on individual cases, but in general, they said that they are uh, very understaffed and that even though they'd like to provide visiting capacity that meets demands, if there are issues with you know bringing prisoners to court or to hospital, that they all need to be accompanied by prison guards. And so visits suffer as a result. We also looked at the data and found that that the number of children visiting prisons is still only 75% of its pre-pandemic level. And in in that same time period, the Irish prison population has increased by 700 prisoners. So that clearly hasn't gone back to normal. Uh, John, would you like to come in on that in terms of things just moving so slowly after COVID? I mean, it's not that they're trying to be anti-prisoner or being vindictive, I'm sure. But why is it so slow? Is it the understaffing? I mean, what would you say? Well, it's mostly got to do with economics and um, visiting, uh, you know, the ordinary family visits that we know of. And they they are, you know, staff intensive because there's, you know, you have the searching and you have the preparation outside the waiting rooms. And then you have the, uh, you know, the collecting of the prisoners within the prison and bringing and escorting them to the visiting area, the supervision within the area. So there's quite a lot of of, uh, staff involved in providing that comprehensive visiting regime. And that's... Naturally enough, and that was always the case, all those sort of uh, uh, services and facilities are not prioritised. So when there's a a staff shortage or other demands like security or escorts uh, go up the the Richter scale, privileges as they are really uh, go down the scale. And that's one of the reasons. And it's not confined exclusively to visits. Because quite a lot of court appearances now are also done uh, on 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 camera and and, yeah. and video, and uh, again that's an, another cost saving exercise. So the the reality is that prisons and any oh, not just prisons, lots of uh, of establishments use opportunities like COVID to reduce what was you know to bring in a new norm, and and I suppose that's what it is. And that's and, what it is. And the impact of that, we had a family in Limerick prison. Not the family, but the father is in Limerick Prison, Alice, that you mentioned. It's a family of four children and they're they're still only allowed to bring in two kids at a time and they're getting two visits a month. So in reality, what's happening there with the family is that, you know, each child only gets to see their dad once a month. Can you imagine that? Imagine seeing your dad only 12 times a year. Uh, And that's been the case since uh, July. And I've spoken to the family uh, recently in November, and it's it's still the case. Yeah. Uh, um, Susan, very important to emphasise as well that it's not family friendly. It is not a personable friendly at all, uh, in the sense that you can have seven in Mountjoy, up to seven family visits going on in the one area at the one time, and that means you know even with the new rules, up to fourteen people or fourteen children in that small area. Now, can anybody outside imagine what it's like to have 40, 10 to fourteen children in a a very confined area with no physical contact and often screened apart. It's impossible to keep them, uh, I suppose, disciplined. It's impossible to keep them concentrating. There's no quality of visit in the sense that the noise is constant. They, they have some sort of uh, he- he- microphones or some sort of thing, but again, you can imagine. So they're not family friendly and it's not like going into a hospital or somewhere where you can sit down and talk to the to the child and have a, have a quality of conversation. That just won't happen. It sounds like pandemonium. It sounds like a root issue, actually, which is not even to do with COVID, but rather, as you pointed out in the past, John is just just it's just not set up for kids at all. And Alice, you you were going to come in on that, yeah, just to say that the number of kids is a, a kind of an interesting question because uh, I've spoken to families who have 
been told that they can't bring more than two children in at any one time. When I when I asked the prison service about this, they said actually, officially families can bring unlimited numbers of children, but it's up to the individual governor. Prisoners are often moved between prisons, so you'll have rules in one place and then rules in a different place uh, that families are having to adapt to. And then the other thing is they said, you know, it's unlimited children, but we couldn't have a situation where six or seven children are running around the visiting centre. And so a governor might limit it for that reason. And we have Gabrielle speaking to us again about um, just even trying to book visits and how hard that was. This is my, well, my third week now. I had a visit on Friday, but I couldn't visit them for the last two or three weeks because they were fully booked or saying. It was a lot better in the Midlands because you could book them for two weeks in advance. Like I just book them for this weekend, I could book them for next weekend. In Whitfield, you don't get that option. If you don't, if you bring up and you don't have physical visits, you're going without. It would have been harder to get um, physical visits in Midlands, but it's easy to get video calls. But in Whitfield, it's not really easy to get anything. Alice, based on what Gabrielle's saying there, this is the video visits now. We're just going to, we should probably touch on this because it's become a really big part for people. What about these video visits that we're hearing a lot about, which we, of course, we understand why those came in in COVID. Yeah, so I, I put Gabrielle's experience uh, to the Irish Prison Service uh, and they didn't address what happened to her directly. But a spokesperson did tell me that overcrowding means that they struggle to accommodate uh, visits. Um, and they also said that many families prefer video visits. Now, there's been a big push towards visio- video visits uh, in the prison service and in principle, it's a good idea. And a lot of people have said they hope to keep the video visits, but that they should definitely not replace physical visits, which they seem to occasionally be doing. John, you're not a big fan of online communication in, no. in general mm. yourself. Um, I know mm. you prefer, like a lot of us do, the in-person, the body language, the communication. You wouldn't have had video visits when you when you were governor. I presume you wouldn't like to see them replace the in-person no, I, I think, you know, I have to be realistic as well. And, sure. and during a period like COVID, when when, uh, when visits were, were banned, they were obviously better than no visits. And there was some contact. I personally uh, find them very, very difficult, impersonal, distant, lacks atmosphere, uh, lacks humanity, every element uh, that you'd be expecting in a, in a family visit. I also wanted to, wanted to mention this thing that, you know, some families prefer. I mean, a million reasons why some families prefer, because it could be travel problems, it could be children, the, the numbers of children, the opportunities they have. People forget sometimes travelling maybe from Cork to Dublin to a visit. That's a day's work for a family. Now, if you're a mother or a, or a parent trying to bring children that distance, go to the prison, go to the system, get the visit. Uh, by the time the child is in the visiting area, he or she is tired and is irritable and can't concentrate and can't behave. So I can understand and empathise why some pe- families would say, listen, So, and especially if the quality of the visit isn't, you know, doesn't compensate. And that's what happens. The quality of the visit, they'd probably hear the person better on video than they would in, in the actual visiting area. And so that visiting experience is not a child friendly experience. Like what we're hearing here is just it's not a great situation for children when they get to visit or not, um, as well as the limitations are still currently on it. The prison service is promising improvements, right? Um when are these happening? What are they? You had the clarification that people are entitled to one physical visit a week anyway. That's a start. Yeah, I mean, I think that is a start, given what the website has been saying for so long. Um, families should know that they do have a right to one physical visit per week. The prison service is rolling out what they call their in-cell telephony programme to get telephones into prison cells. And they're saying that that will make communication with families a lot easier. 
plan is for that to have been finished by 2024. Um, every prison across the country should have uh, in-cell telephones. And they're they're planning on continuing the vis- video visits and building special booths uh, and dealing with the technological issues there. I've been talking to experts who've said that one of the real big issues is, this, is that there's no joined up thinking at a national level. I mean, we've already talked about how it really differs from prison to prison, from regime to regime. I asked the Department of Children. They are currently drafting their new strategy and they said that they will aim to realise the rights of all children and young people in Ireland, including those with a parent in prison. But I think probably the most important change and something that experts are really uh, excited about is the Irish Prison Service is finally recruiting a family liaison officer position. And that was promised in 2019. They couldn't do it for budgetary reasons, got put on hold for the pandemic. Uh, but they told us that the recruitment should start towards the end of November. So there are a number of things there, but you mentioned about lack of joined up thinking. And if I was to leave the last word with you, John, was it ever thus? No, um, there's a gap between policy anyway and what what happens even with a family-friendly uh, qualified uh, person is, 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 is it going to be limited their impact unless there's a fundamental change in, in the priority. And what I would be advocating is that the needs of children and the rights of children come first, in, in my opinion, and, and then the rights of parents are second. And unless they are prioritised in the structural uh, development of prisons to have family-friendly facilities, even taken on board all the processes that you have to go through to get there. But when you get there, the current facilities are just inadequate and they're not child-friendly. Well, look, thank you, John. Thank you, Alice, for for shining a light on this area of the penal system, which I think many of us don't think about that much. And what it shows is just that the macro problems, things like understaffing, overcrowding, the impact that that has on on children, but then the impact that has on the overall chance for a parent afterwards to rejoin and reconnect and be in a position to to be part of society in a really positive way again, hugely impacted by this. Thank you so much. You have been listening to The Explainer, brought to you by Noteworthy.ie. It was produced by Maria Delaney. If you want to learn more about our work at Noteworthy and how we source our stories from you, our readers and listeners, head to our site at noteworthy.ie. You can sign up to our newsletter, which gives you an insider look at our latest investigations by visiting noteworthy.ie forward slash newsletter. Thanks for having us and we'll see you next time.